Uh, yeah, what's up, folks? Uh, make sure you listen right to the end of the podcast uh, to find out how big the beanbag is. It's very big. That's it. But no, because if you listen to the end of the podcast, I'll have already said it. That's not how a podcast is structured. Well, mate, now you have to deal your anecdote out in parts. So you have to tell us. Okay. Wait, it's the size of the beanbag key to the anecdote. Oh, oh my God, yeah. It's key to everything. Oh, it's key to well, my life now. Well, hopefully Mr. This... Beast throws a thousand pounds of gold in a <laughs> volcano? <laughs> <laughs> listeners don't forget to hit that like and subscribe <laughs> this Ooh. is episode 193 of uh the electronic wireless show podcast can you hit like and subscribe on a podcast i don't know give us five stars <laughs> this is rock paper shotgun's pc gaming podcast and the only podcast you need in my opinion which is that of alice bell and we're back this week finally with a full a full team of the old guard uh we're joined by wolf carlton hello once again hello <laughs> Matthew, how are you? Yeah, good. I haven't got any better at names in the time I've been away. That's fine. Uh, and the the books ape. What's what's with, what's up with that, Nate? It will become clear, maybe, okay, well, if I remember right. to mention it. All right, we'll go into that later. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about um, our most nostalgic games. Uh, if I forgive me, while I Google or Google search my emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first thing you ever googled? Oh, oh, I remember. It was we just got internet in our house. It was dial up, and Mum was like getting my older brother to like share the internet, you know. And I was like, I'm, I was like nine or something, eight or nine. I didn't kind of know. Uh, and my brother was kind of like, oh, I don't know, like would you like and I was like I like Spice Girls and mum was like there you go show her some Spice Girls on the internet and what year was this it was like 1998 97 so seven or eight maybe nine and and my brother was kind of going it doesn't it doesn't work like that I can't just like (laughs) so I remember that it was Spice Girls looking at the Spice Girls was the first thing now I've got the proviso I'm not sure I think maybe Alta Vista was the first search engine I used because no, no, actually Google had just started and I typed in Star Wars <laughs> and got about 15 websites. Very odd. A simpler, more bucolic time. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, now, Nate, before we started recording, you said you had huge news. God, do I ever. It's, uh, I am offering every listener of the Electronic Wireless Show a free goby if they can come to Warsaw and claim it. (laughs) Is it? My friends, I have so many goddamn gobies. Are these the monstrously inbred... 
uh, fish. The Scions are King Bogey. Yeah. Well, yes, they are. But there's good news because I checked my fish log for I keep an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of fish I've bought. Right. Uh, and one of the mothers. Okay, no, I've got to go back a couple of steps. So, one of King Bogey's sons did an incredible feat. He managed to have babies with two fish and guard two clutches of eggs in different places. God, he must have been knackered. He died immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what they do. That's the Goban way. Uh, and he managed not to rack up a body count while guarding them, so like props to him. Uh, but I thought like both of the mothers were his sisters, but my fish log reveals one of them uh, was a goby I panic bought when the original King Bogey massacred all of his harem. And I thought, oh no, I'm only going to have this one angry goby. I didn't know there were eggs at that point. So I was just like, well, I've got to repopulate the earth. So I got this goby, and then that wasn't needed. Uh, so I just sort of threw her into the mix, you know, let her chill out. Uh, and I just realized that, yeah, she's the mother of one. So of the, I think I've got about 120 baby gobies. Oh, my God. They are growing at, like, you know, a B-movie rate as well. Um because I've got them in this tank I call the boiler, because uh, it's <laughs> it's like this big double hexagon of perspex, and the water in there. I've just got two big like impellers just churning round water that's like twice as salty as the sea and about forty degrees Celsius. Nothing can live in there apart from gobies, <laughs> um, and it's so hot they're just growing really quick. They're just like they look ripped. And they're babies. Uh, Yeah, half of them aren't horrible inbreds. So that's cool. It's so... Sorry. Well, I have two questions. Like, first of all, I know I call them monstrously inbred, but are fish uh, genetically complex enough that they can be inbred? Yes. Okay. Uh, I I think the risk tends to be, if I understand this right, and shout out to Bjorn off of the... um, EWS Discord, um, who would frighten me because he knows more about fish than me if I didn't really respect him for knowing so much about fish. Um, So I'll let him have the final word on this. Uh, But I'm pretty sure for, you know, more simple creatures, they're calling a goby simple as farcical. Um, It's like risk of disease. That's the big big problem with inbreeding because you just have like, you know, a lot of the same genes, and if they have susceptibility to a particular goby plague, uh, it will okay, be them all. But like, you know, let's face it, gobies can barely die unless they kill each other. So, like, but like a goby can't get like a Habsburg fin. Well, considering they're already gurning monsters that will kill <laughs> at the drop of a hat, like. Try try your worst genetics, you know? Okay. And then my other question was, are you any do you sort of sometimes wake up in the night and wonder if you're one of the scientists from Jurassic Park? Do you know? Yeah, quite often. Yeah. Because I've I've 
I feel like if the planet survives everything else we're throwing at it, you could get it first. You know, you could be the source of some kind of fish-based apocalypse. I want to be the guy. Honestly, if you've seen the new Jurassic World film, the the big threat in that film is so stupid, I wouldn't be surprised if the next film was about gobies. Oh, goodness. Yeah, actually, I'm just going to spoil it because I've got no respect for that film. It's locusts. It's locusts. It's not dinosaurs. No, it's locusts. It's dinosaurs, but the real threat is the locusts. (laughs) Fat locusts. They're like the size of cats. They don't make sense biomechanically. Um, But that's not cool. Or scary. Like, there's a scene which is basically recreates the famous scene from Jurassic Park where they have to go and turn on the power, you know, where she goes yeah. into the raptor cage. A really cool bit, yeah. Yeah, like one of the most iconic scenes, I'd say, in yeah. film history. Uh, <laughs> and in this one, it recreates it in that, 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 that switch is in a room with a lot of very sleepy locusts. <laughs> and it's like, if you wake the no. locusts up... Who cares? All that means is there's locusts flying around in the room. Like it's that isn't you cannot equate a, a big locust, even a giant locust, with a velociraptor. It's it is ludicrously tough. <laughs> so much the film as well is just like I feel like um what's his name? Sam Neill and Laura Dern and um Jeff Goldblum. I like those sort of mangy bears that like medieval traveling fairs would parade around. <laughs> you know, Listen, ye folk, and marvel at the hairy beast from beyond the hills. And, <laughs> you know, they're just sort of, you know, with scabies. Like, no one's impressed. Everyone's just a bit sad. That's how it feels with Jurassic Park Dominion. It didn't need those guys in it. I like Jurassic Park, you know, but. I did, you know, I didn't need to see those characters again, or at least not as much as the film seemed to think I did. Well, well speaking of media and having no respect for it, uh, do you watch Stranger Things? Yes. So Stranger Things season four, part volume two came out and I'd enjoyed volume one. And then I hated volume two so much that I now retroactively have no respect for any of Stranger Things. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) Beasted. The final episode of Stranger Things Season 4 is two and a half hours long. It is a feature-length episode of television and it in no way earns that runtime. And also, the media literacy in it is shocking. Like, I I just... I'm so cross at it. They did so many of the actors dirty with the, the just structure and incoherency of it and i'm so surprised that like actual websites are being like oh it was perfect nine out of ten how dare you I'm not watching <laughs> season five out of protest of it i now feel vindicated and never having watched it i thought it was a very serious program but it's becoming increasingly mm. apparent that it is not no it has never been a serious program at all and i enjoyed that season four because it wasn't and Siri. I mean, there all through season four, there was a subplot that only existed because they wrote themselves into a corner. But um, uh, it was fun. It was doing some cool eighty stuff. They introduced a new character who's really, really great and has become the great the breakout star of the series. And then just everything was ruined <laughs> by the final episode, <laughs> which I was sat watching it and it, and I like I felt like I've been watching it my whole life. Every time I thought 
a half hour had passed. It was only 10 minutes and there was still somehow like two hours left of it. Did it basically Game of Thrones it? Uh, to the extent that I understand that, yes, because I didn't watch Game of Thrones. But yeah. Well, no it, no, it didn't because everyone still thinks it's great. Apart Why from me. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> I am truly neutral. You fool. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> we'll talk about it afterwards because it's still recent enough that I don't want to spoil stuff. But yeah. One part in particular made me so angry. <laughs> I was so cross. I was like cackling with rage. I was so, I was uh, with my partner, like yelling, like a like like an old person in a hospital, like throwing crayons at the screen. I was so gross. Wow. I actually, when we saw Jurassic World Dominion, there was a bit where both me and Catherine looked at each other and we were just like, this is terrible, isn't it? Um, where he gets chased by the, they, they've got these, there are velociraptors in the film, but they're like all the, or some extra nasty version of a velociraptor, but they've been trained to only attack people who've been marked with this laser pointer. Like a cat. <laughs> it's, now, can and, I shock you here, Matthew? They're called atrociraptors. <laughs> is that a real thing or is that something you made up amazingly is a real thing oh wow okay it sounded it sounded like nonsense um, honestly i thought it was made up but what? i was it, it was just i had this inner sense of like oh what is this this is just absolutely nothing and then i looked at Catherine. she she'd obviously hit the same thought at the same moment and we both just like laughed to ourselves at how meaningless <laughs> this stupid like what was happening was, you know, dinosaurs running around like freaking Malta or something. It was like really like big, mad stuff. But you're like, it's just, there's just nothing here. What are just an empty, <laughs> empty, we, empty we, piece of filmmaking. Were you able to identify which dinosaur was supposed to be like the Joker? Is there one that's like the Joker? Yeah, this is the... Uh, me and Alice is, talked about this, didn't we, last time? Yeah, last week. This is the film where the director gave an interview and he said one of the dinosaurs was just it was like the Joker because it like just wanted to watch the world burn or whatever. There's this the one Joker. which seems to be like a really violent herbivore. Maybe it's that one? I don't know. The one with like the really long fingers. Oh, yeah, Therizinosaurus. <laughs> I didn't really get his deal because... <laughs> He was only seen to like eat. He was eating plants, but then he was also into big into like chopping up deers. I don't really know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, they did an incredibly bad job of doing any exposition on that. It's just, oh yeah, here's this massive beak guy with Freddy Krueger hands. Watch out! <laughs> There's like a subplot about which of the dinosaurs is the apex predator. Um, and at the end, they have like a little three-way grudge match between lots of between, between <laughs> like, in the all bank. the big dinosaurs to see like what would win between the T Rex, the finger <laughs> guy, and this other thing, which I, maybe I can't remember what his deal was. But was it's it the so T Rex? So shoehorned in, of course oh, it's the T Rex. Of course yeah. it's yeah. the yeah. idea that, the, <laughs> that like the it wasn't even the B plot, like the E plot of this story was. Um, which of these three dinosaurs is, is the best? And he's going to win. Now the John Cena of Jurassic Park, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's the problem. It's really very very yeah, poor. I, I mean, we laugh, but that T Rex has done more Make a Wish uh, visits than any other dinosaur. So <laughs> it can't see you if you're not moving. <laughs> it's reverse John Cena. 
<laughs> anyway, before we go into our topic this week, I want to very quickly um, talk about the beanbag. That oh, you've been hyping this up for like 10 minutes. I can't describe. So we like. We we encountered a very gamery problem, which is that our television is too far away from our sofa, uh, <laughs> and we can't. Television went woke, <laughs> and we yeah, and we couldn't um, increase the text size on a lot of games enough. So we were like, well, we'll get a beanbag. Will we get a beanbag to because then we can pull the beanbag out and flop in front of the TV when one of us is playing a video game, and that would be fine. And we're like, yeah, brilliant beanbags are well cool and as an adult when you realize that you can buy a beanbag that's a great that's a great thing it's a beautiful thing so went online looked at the beanbags we were like well let's get a big beanbag because we're adults and like even as a teenager regular size beanbags kind of feel too small so we ordered like a big we were like a double size beanbag we're like brilliant um it arrived in four boxes <laughs> one of which was the the skin <laughs> the shell of the beanbag and the other were like three boxes of beans so we had to manually put our beanbag together and now it's so big like we're gonna have to get rid of a sofa like it's so we've had to move all the other furniture in in our living room out of the way because now it's all beanbag i cannot (laughs) overstate how it's but it's simultaneously the best and worst purchase I've ever made in my life. It looks like a prop like a retro Doctor Who sixties villain from when their budget was about eight and a half P. Like every every time I look at it, it's like it's gotten bigger. I keep forgetting because my desk, my office is in the side of that room. And it's now smaller because the sofa is right up against the back of my chair. Oh, my word. And every time I turn around, I forget that it's there. And I turn around and then, and then I see it and I go, ah, it's you've, so big. You've, you've John Hammond did it just because you could, <laughs> whether or not you should. Exactly. We're all doing it. We can't stop hammering. Hammonding. <laughs> yeah, you're the Hammond of gobies. You're the Hammond of beanbags. <laughs> Mind you, we've got like a cursed too big beanbag. It's like a big haunted red blood cell. And it just wouldn't fit anywhere. So in the end, I just sort of basted it on top of a wardrobe, like crammed it in between the wardrobe and the roof because it's so big. <laughs> and if you look up while walking past the wardrobe, it's sort of just like leering over at you. Yeah. it's so. I'll, I'll send you a picture. I'll put a picture in the, the show notes maybe even because it's so like, it's just there. It's bigger than me. I could sleep on it quite comfortably. It's so big. So don't over beanbag, folks. It's it's a danger. Very uh, gruesome. I think, we're, I think we're beyond beanbags. We're yeah, more yeah. In, we're in the poang zone. Yeah. But, you know, beanbags are a classic. Uh, from when you were a kid, there was always your friend who had a, a beanbag, you know, and you didn't have one. It just makes you feel quite nostalgic for being a kid again, doesn't it? Oh, I see. This week, we're talking about nostalgia in games, and it was inspired by an email that Robert, fake last name, sent in. Thank you, Robert. Um, Robert's idea is is different and probably better, and we'll probably do that in a couple of weeks. But I thought it'd be, it'd be good to establish this one first, because I don't know if we as a group have talked about the games that sort of inspire nostalgia in us or the games that we think feel very nostalgic. And I think 
I think it comes up a lot, but we've never tackled it head on. Yeah. It's just like a giant muscly ghost in the corner of our vision. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um so what um like so when I when I pitched it to you two I, I talked about like yeah the games that you feel very nostalgic about and also possibly modern games that feel like they're going for nostalgia, uh, even though they're sort of new. Um let's go to Nate first, because uh, I quite want to see if you can explain your name this week. So, what I did basically when you n- named the when you named the theme, I just immediately wrote down all the PC gaming memories that came to mind without me having to look for them. The first one, inexplicably, was Zed Steel Soldiers, which I didn't even really like. But it's just, if I think of old games, Zed Steel Soldiers just muscles to the front of my mind like a burly man trying to ram raid a Woolworths. So let's ignore Zed Steel Soldiers. The second <laughs> what, one... Wait, hang up. on. What, what is Zed Steel Soldiers? Oh, it was... I, I suppose, to be fair, it invented the sort of lane MOBA um, about 20 years before the lane MOBA. Um Oh, it was about these sort of robots with big chins from Texas. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there'd be a lot of shouting. Did the robot um, have like a big Marshall star on it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like remember. Yeah, I remember the images of that. And basically you had like, you captured factories that auto-produced tanks and sent them towards the enemy. And it, oh, it was just maddening. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the real game... And the reason for me being the book site uh, was, and I thought I'd get a bit of redemption arc in this week because I'm always ragging on point and clicks, but I had a, a lovely, way too hot summer night, uh, staying up late because we were, I was going to go on an aeroplane for the first time the next day. We were going to go and visit family in America and I couldn't sleep. So I just played the Discworld game. Oh, that's a, a weird, 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 tough one. And I just remember, like, it was just brutally hot. Um, <laughs> you know, like, the sweat will not evaporate off you. So you just become a sort of a mollusk. And I was just so happy anyway. Uh-huh. I couldn't stop thinking about going on a plane. And I was, like, well into Discworld. And I hadn't known there was a video game because, you know... I don't know if it was the era or my age, but I just wasn't aware of games until literally one crossed my path. I had no broad awareness of what was out there. So the fact there was a Discworld game and my mum's school had the CD and she managed to rob it for the summer, yeah, blew my mind. (laughs) Was this Discworld 1? Yes, I think so. That's a really good point, actually. Can you possibly give me an easy qualifier to tell them apart? Uh, Discworld 2's about, like, Hollywood and making films. Um, Discworld 1's, it's got, like, a big sort of time travel. It's a lot, Discworld 1 is a lot more, like, traditionally Discworld, what you'd imagine it to be, I would say. Was there some rats in it? There's rats in, I think, both. I just remember a really nice sort of Ankh-Morpork cityscape, which was very sort of moonlit and also green. 
Oh, maybe that's maybe that could be two. I don't know. I I I, I play both of them, but they sort of, they're they're quite different art style wise, but they're sort of mixed in. Um, Actually, I have the more a... I think about this, the more I was just nostalgic for that evening, right. considering all I can remember about the Discworld game is that there could have been rats. I quite liked the way they drew the librarian, the book eight, oh, and yeah. there might have been a green cityscape. Well, that might have just been looking out of the window, actually. And it might have been orange. <laughs> oh. so uh. Yeah, okay, yeah, this might actually... I'm going to go with Zed Steel Soldiers. I've something. Uh, have I ever told you the my Discord walkthrough story? No. no. <laughs> so I had Discord one, and I was I was incredibly stuck on it because it had it had really baffling puzzles, and um, we went to see uh, Terry Pratchett in he was at Winchester W H Smith signing books, and we were in the queue and. Um, my mum was there with me because I was quite young at the time and she was talking to a person behind us and um, <laughs> she heard through her conversation with with this people, it was like, it was like an adult, it wasn't like my age, yeah. um, that he also lived in the, t- the town we lived in, Allsford, um, and he also had the game and he said, oh, I couldn't have done it without my... I got the I've got the guide I've got the walkthrough for it and uh, this stuck with me like this info like this fact that someone in Allsford whose name I didn't know uh like we maybe had this like one name like Mark or something or George surname I can't remember which which way around it was someone's in Allsford had a walkthrough and I li- <laughs> when I got home uh, I I literally went through the phone book, ringing up strangers until oh, I could God. find this man and ask if I could borrow his walkthrough. <laughs> Did you find him? Yes. <laughs> I I was yeah I was ringing up strangers, going, "Were you at this? Were you at the Terry Pratchett thing <laughs> last week?" And they were like, "No." And eventually, I got him. And um, lovely bloke that he was, he photocopied his whole guide for it for oh, me and man, gave me a this- copy. That's so lovely. That's yeah. a wonderful it, story. How long did it take you? I, I think it, it must have been surname that we had. So it was, you know, like Chambers or something. So, you know, it wasn't like crazy out there. But, um, yeah, it, it's not the natural way. Like, it probably had a tips hotline. I should have just rung that. But it was so ex- <laughs> it was so expensive, my mum wouldn't let me. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> oh, I hope, like, if anyone, if you're that, that man listening now... Get in touch. Yeah, Thanks for helping, Matthew. Yeah. Wow. So I only finished Discord with the help of a stranger's guide from a Terry Pratchett event. So. Um, <laughs> that's very good. Uh, is Discworld, would Discworld be one of your kind of nostalgia yeah, games? Yeah, I mean, like, you? most of the stuff I'm nostalgic for are, like, point and clicks of this era. That's what I was, I was really into. Um, but again, it's, like, very specific, like, a, a lot of these games, actually, my most specific memory is like not really understanding how my PC worked, trying to get it to work, the frustration of like, I remember getting Discord 2 for Christmas and none of the sound would play in it because of some freaking sound blaster error on my PC. And it's not like oh, today where like... sound blaster. <laughs> yeah, it's not like today where like everything is instantly at your fingertips. 
Um, and I had to wait several days for our uh, my parents' more tech-savvy friend, Richard, to come around and fix our PC so I could actually play this this damn game and hear what everyone was saying. But a lot of my memories are, like, happy but tinged with frustration from being, like, you know, a 10-year-old who didn't understand the incredibly complex PC. Yeah, the audio drivers was... Oh. They were always the thing I couldn't work out when I was trying to get a game to work. I could never figure out, like... Computers just broke all the time, didn't they? <laughs> they were <so laughs> garbage. Computers <laughs> in the old days were rubbish. <laughs> I remember the very first PC we got, um, actually I don't know why I didn't mention this, because this was like my OG PC gaming experience, was getting, uh, the family bought itself a PC for Christmas, because they were mega expensive, mm. um, so yeah, we it was weird, we just sort of got that, and I got TIE Fighter and a joystick, uh, and TIE Fighter immediately demolished the operating system. So, <laughs> Mum spent like Boxing Day, like calling some brutal American help service at like ten quid a minute, and like literally just like growling in frustration at this machine. It was, and yet still we were all impressed with it. <laughs> okay. Well, I. Uh... Like Matthew, it was a lot of like point and click and like LucasArts and Lucasfilm games. Uh, but I thought I'd throw in some kind of unusual ones. Um, so one was when I was about 12 years old, I used to go down the road to my friend Jeff's house. And then me and Jeff and Jeff's dad uh, would play 007 Nightfire. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just the multiplayer. Um, what was that? Was that pre GoldenEye or something? No, it was post GoldenEye. It was like 2002. Um, nowhere near as good as GoldenEye, but we would just play the the multiplayer for, for like the. It was like versus. It was like 2v2. There was another guy called Rich who we play with sometimes. And like just hours playing it. I remember there was like a ski chalet level. Oh. So, so really weird nostalgia for that, even though I only kind of played one bit of it and it was kind of a rubbish game. Was it roughly the format of GoldenEye, the multiplayer? Yeah, I think so. Reaching back a decade in my memory. Did you um, play it enough that you like <clears throat> developed your own like rituals and language around it? Yeah, like and like our own meta kind of. I can't remember exactly. But there was definitely like, you know, like sort of in the same way, like what one that I always remember is I used to play Magic the Gathering at university and I don't play it anymore, but the one of the guys or the guys I played with uh would say, Espacormorant in that voice. And I still <laughs> think of it in that voice. Yeah, I don't know why, it was just that they'd say. <laughs> and there was something similar with when we were playing Nightfire, but I can't remember what it was. Um uh and then sort of similar, um, one it, one year, a bunch of us went on holiday, and uh, as you do when you're teenagers, we all went on holiday and put some money in to rent a house out. But like we bu- we took we took a, an Xbox with us, <laughs> um, and we had a couple of games. And we like it was Soul Calibur Four, the fighting game, uh, 
that we we had with us, and she played loads and loads of Soul Calibur before. And I remember one of the characters. I think after if she won her finishing move, she would say, uh, "Sweet yet deadly, like the kiss of a snake," <laughs> which we all thought was hilarious, uh, and would spend like all the time trying to work that in into conversation, like. <laughs> Like was was like, that the game with like the the beast wrestler who was a beast and a wrestler? Maybe yeah. There's also a guy in it that looks like a a pervert mummy. Like he's all wrapped in bandages and is undulating. Oh, he rolls around on the floor. Doesn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. Um, but no, it'd be like uh like offering someone Haribo and saying like if I put some barbed wire in this Haribo, it would be sweet yet yeah, deadly, <laughs> like the kiss of a snake. <laughs> When you're like 18, you think that's really funny. <laughs> we had, we, so became, we were obsessed with um, split-screen Call of Duty 2 on the Xbox 360 at university. Uh... And for some reason, I have no idea how this came about. We used to, uh, one of our friends used to play with us occasionally. It was called Hickmet. And there was this, <laughs> if you ever fell from a great height in that game but survived it would make this like crunching sound and like blood would fill your peripheral vision in split screen and that was <laughs> that was known as committing hickmet which <laughs> i have no idea why uh, but that was that was that was something we used to say a lot <laughs> there was also a bit we used to play um we'd ripped the, it's not a pc memory but anyway forgive it um we ripped a, uh, <laughs> you could rip uh, uh, CDs to 360. And for some reason, the, just to test it out, the only thing we'd ripped was um, the be- like a, vo- a volume two of the best of Danny Elfman. Um, <laughs> and, and so we used to play the whole album on a loop um, while we were playing in the background of Call of Duty 2. And there was this bit, <laughs> hopefully this isn't too offensive, there was a bit of the music where um, it was from Black Beauty and it was really sort of like uh, sort of like galloping, pastoral, kind of like really uplifting, but with all these like fiddles and stuff. And whenever that played, everyone would say, because we used to play with these two um, uh, Irish twins who played with us. And it was always in when that bit of music played, that was like their power, like three minutes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it kind of captured the sense of their homeland. And <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> That's Do like you... when me and uh, Ashley played through Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I get very easily intimidated by large bosses. Um, so if I was sort of you know, playing for time before going into a big arena where there'd clearly be a boss. She'd just start playing Cotton Eye Joe really loudly to get me pumped up. And so now whenever I hear that song, I want to fight something large. (laughs) Yeah, do you still have that kind of association, Matthew? Like if you start hearing any Danny Elfman themes? Yeah, if I I hear like particular tunes, it's, it's like having a flashback to a war I wasn't in. Like all of a sudden, you know, like I hear like, the tune of Beetlejuice, and I'm suddenly like back there, crouched behind the tiny little. There's a tiny little piano <laughs> in the high street of the map, Carantan. The Beetlejuice theme is funny. <laughs> oh man, war movies would be a very different experience if it was like 
John T. Danny Elfman. Yeah. Can you imagine like the beginning of Enemy at the Gates with all those poor Red Army conscripts getting like butchered while crossing the Volga to da 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 like it really was like that and it's because we always played it with the album like you'd know how far you were into like the match time by what was playing so it's like this this piece of music always plays at the end of the 15 minutes or whatever so yeah you'd psychologically get more excited by certain tracks and yeah (laughs) i love that i think that's my favorite story you've ever told (laughs) i wish i'd um I wish I'd, I should have been revising for my finals at that point, though. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it was actually a really, a really bad move. Um, but, you know. To be marginally serious for a second, all of this chat has got me thinking that, that one thing we've lost with like, the sheer accessibility of media in the present is like the fascination that comes with needless repetition of things because they're all you've got. Yeah. Like, yeah, thinking about when games were, you know, when you couldn't, you didn't have this sort of mad whim engine that is Steam. You just yeah. sort of had to make do. And just, and this is why I played Logical Journey of the Zumbinis for a summer. Because <laughs> that's what there was. <laughs> I don't, but. Tie Fighter was still fucked. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, you know, it's like, has has game design changed? Or actually, like, would we find the same, like, manic depth in any game if it was all you had to play? You know, it's just like, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I have not played any game as hard in the last 15 years as I did GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. Yeah. Is, is that, like, a quality inherent to, to Perfect Dark and GoldenEye? Or is it, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I I know that there are people who play like one game for thousands of hours, and you know, like your MOBAs or your games of service or your MMOs. But I don't know. I I don't think I'll ever have that relationship with a, a single game again. Mm. Oh, I've just remembered there was one time where the only only sort of game we had, I think, was like the demo of a a sort of a on on rails like. Star Fox kind of fly the spaceship, shoot the objects business. I can't remember the name of it, but like um, some family friends were staying that they had two boys, one my age and one a few years younger. And like we didn't have the, obviously we didn't have the ability to do anything multiplayer. So we kept playing the demo of this space fighter game and agreeing that we would all be allowed to, you know, we would all have sovereignty over a section of the keyboard. So <laughs> we were co-piloting the ship. And uh, Jonathan, who was the little brother, his big brother just didn't trust him to get anything right. So all he was allowed to do was hit the space bar to activate the afterburners. But we did let him shout, Slamo when he did it. <laughs> but he had to be given permission to do it by both me and his brother. <laughs> Miserable uh, life. Yeah, I wonder about that. Because like, I, I am firmly of the opinion that um, video games are getting better. And, and I think maybe the... There are very few that you could say they don't make them like this anymore about. And it might just be that, yeah, there were less of them and we 
didn't have as much, you know, choice. It's mm. far more tolerant. And it's just may- maybe it's a shame that we're not going to get, you know, in-depth retrospectives or whatever on every game that came out this year. Maybe they do all deserve it. Who knows? Mm. Big times. Yeah. <laughs> I also remember a couple of games where, like, games that ended up being really, really important games to me that friends had and couldn't get them to work or didn't know how to start them. I remember I had a, I had a friend who had Monkey Island and um, they didn't understand. Like, the, you know, the security check used to have, like, a dial with, like, the pirate faces. You had to sort of use this in-game anti-piracy device to like, actually start the game. And they were just like, I've got this game and it's I just don't even know how to start it. It's absolutely baffling. Um, and then, yeah, like getting our heads around like the, the anti-piracy wheel and it just like unlocking, you know, what would go on to be like, you know, something I was absolutely obsessed with. And similarly, a friend who had the, the original Worms on the Amiga and he was like, look at this, look, this is really weird. Like you put this game in and then this like video plays of like these worms fighting and that's all it is. You just watch these <laughs> worms fighting. And it was just like the demo mode at the start because you had to press like F10 for the game to start, but it didn't tell you. Um, <laughs> and then once we unlocked it, you know, we then played worms, you know, every day for like two years or something. We were just so mad about it, but we came this close to not discovering it just because things weren't very user friendly. Yeah. We got um, worms. Yeah, was, we played I still worms. remember the ambient music from the the hell maps. <laughs> <laughs> we played. Um, I'm sure it was what we we had like a, a computer that was set up in in the common room at school. There were two common rooms. There was the big common room where like normal normies hung out, and then there was the small common room uh, where the kind of loser nerds hung out. And in the small common room, we someone brought in like a really terrible tower, uh, like a PC tower and a CRT screen. I think it could just about, uh, I think it just about run worms. I think it was kind of the only thing it could run. So we played a lot of worms. Uh, it could also do the Microsoft Sam voice. Oh. So uh, Tim, friend of the show, Tim, fake last name. Uh, used to pretend to be a robot like he would make a lot of robot cardboard heads and then put them on other people and then I'd like I would walk into the common room and like our friend Toby would just have a robot cover box on his head and then Tim would press go on Microsoft Sam and it would go hello Alice I am Toby I am a robot now and that was <laughs> that was kind of the sum total of the joke but it was really funny <laughs> oh back before we had telly I eh? <laughs> Imagine kids today with their TikToks. Don't know how lucky they are. Robot to- Toby would be massive on TikTok. I fantasy would, yeah. Uh, can anyone say for sure what would be massive on TikTok? I'm not sure you can. It's difficult to predict, isn't it? Um, <laughs> like any other good like nostalgia games you want to chat about? The other, uh, actually very similar to the Call of Duty uh story um i had a very similar thing where i used to play uh soldier of fortune 2 online and they only an album i had a i had a ben folds album <laughs> ripped on my pc some of playing this incredibly like gruesome you know that was the game which had like all the mad gore simulation to sort of ben folds you know <laughs> 
plonking away on his piano, singing about, you know, all these women he's loved. <laughs> Actually, you just reminded me, um, when I should have been revising for my finals, I sat in my room at uni playing Universalis, uh, Europa Universalis 2 <laughs> pretty much around the clock while listening to Rammstein because that was the only MP3s I had. <laughs> so this is like the complete... Oh, no, there was also, incredibly, um, some, like, random 70s disco. <laughs> so when I watched The Martian with Matt Damon, I really sympathised with him when he realised he was stranded on Mars for, like, however long, and the only music he had was his crewmate's disco collection, because I actually experienced that, but Mitch Ramstein as well. Oh, my God. I I, I once drove my, my older brother kind of a bit insane, because I was... Neverwinter Nights is another big nostalgia game for me. Um, and is that I the was... one with the big beetle? Maybe it's a an RPG. It's it's, it's a Sword Coast. It's like a sort of D and D adjacent, um, big kind of proper RPG. Uh, a precursor, one might say, to the success of Dragon Age. Um, and you got uh, it in. I got it in there, and uh, I was playing it, and I put on like a now. That's what I call music twenty, whatever it was at that stage. Uh, and I put it in, but I didn't notice that my CD player was stuck on like repeat this song because uh, I was just playing the video again. I was really focused in on the video game, and my brother was in the room next door. Uh, had was ferociously hungover, and uh, just had to listen to "Round Round" by the Sugar Babes on repeat for like two hours. Tune though, tune. And thought thought he was having some kind of breakdown or was stuck in a. a a sort of time loop and and properly like lost lost the plot a bit because it, it's a very it's one of those songs that sort of ends and starts on the same kind of note as well right. so it just sounded like one song for about two hours anyway um we should probably then beat a, a quick retreat into the cavern of lies i want some lies yeah the cavern of lies. I was genuinely tortured. <laughs> Speaking of genuinely tortured, hello. Um, welcome to my cavern of lies. I'm Ron Gilbert, the uh, legendary adventure game designer. Oh, can we give some love to Ron Gilbert as well? Because he's been hounded by the haters well, and trolls who don't like the art style. That's exactly what's happened. I've been driven into this cavern uh, by the cruel discourse about the art style for my new Monkey Island game. <laughs> I um, like it, Ron. I think it looks cool. Thank you very much. Um, obviously, like relocating my entire dev team to this cavern is going to be expensive. Uh, so I've actually set up a premium tips hotline service for ah. terrible adventure games that I know Matthew used to be very nostalgic for. Um, you know, obviously time is money when you're running a premium tips hotline. So I, I need you to help me pick out people who are time wasters. I only want to be helping people sort genuine uh, puzzles from adventure games. Okay. So you're going to hear five people. This has got people. a good vibe. I like this. <laughs> you're going to hear five people asking for help with obscure adventure game puzzles. Well, I think two of them are making it up. So you need okay. to slam the phone down on them. <laughs> Will do. Okay, yeah. Okay, so first up, we have someone. So these are like 
notoriously bad puzzles in point-and-click games. First up, we have the point-and-click game Mystery of the Druids. In this puzzle, you are in Oxford and need to contact a professor using a payphone, but you have no money to use it. There is, however, a nearby beggar who has coins in his bowl. So to get those coins, our hero ends up actually driving back to London, going to Scotland Yard where he works, going to the forensic department to get some pure alcohol, which he mixes with some apple juice. He then drives back to Oxford, gives that spiked drink to the beggar to knock him unconscious and steal his money. That's the solution to the puzzle. Of course, the dumbest thing about this is that in his office in London, he actually has a desk phone, which he could use, um, but the game says he's been banned from using it for making too many expensive calls. Just just like you, Matthew, he wasn't allowed to call the tip yeah, line. Yeah, he was not allowed to call the tip line. I like that they 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 thought far enough to give a reason why he couldn't just use his phone. Yeah, this was very thorough. This is okay. very thorough. All right, can we put you on hold, please? Okay. okay. Next up, we have someone asking for help from Di- for Discworld 2. Uh, Missing Presumed was its subtitle. Uh, you are trying to find a bone needed as part of a spell. It's hidden in what looks like a randomly generated maze. In order to navigate that maze, you, used, you need to use the sniffing nose of Gaspo the Wonder Dog and find a way to... Uh, uh, all right. And the way to harness his power is to miniaturize him using a shrinking portal and placing him in a jar. You then hold out the jar in the maze and he looks in the direction of the right exit that you need at any given time. But there is a further wrinkle in that you also have the death of rats in your inventory. This is a Discord character. It's like a little skeletal rat. I love and the death of rats. He's my favorite. Good lad. You actually need to use perfume on the death of rats so that Gaspo's nose isn't drawn to the bones in the death of rat, if that makes sense. Uh, and then Gaspo will lead you to the lead you uh, the right way in the maze. That that almost makes too much sense, and I don't know if the little mistake Matthew made there was a. a oh yeah, that's well. one of those. Mind yeah. twisters. I've written these down so, like, uh, you know, I just stumble over the words occasionally. Uh, I yeah, wouldn't read but... too much into that. Mm, okay. Gabriel Knight 3. Now, you've surely heard of the cat hair moustache puzzle. But if you, you insist. Okay, you haven't. Well, that's, well, that's, well, it does exist. I was going to tell you the specifics of it here. Uh, it comes from Gabriel Knight 3. You are trying to get your hands on a scooter rented by your friend Mosley, so you need to fake his identity. You steal his passport, and to m- look more like him, you decide to make a moustache out of cat hair. You put masking tape on a hole, you scare a cat through the hole, and then its fur gets stuck on the tape. You then stick that fur to your face using maple syrup. Um, the really wild thing about this truly terrible puzzle is that your friend actually doesn't have a moustache. You also draw that onto the passport. <laughs> the old cat hair maple moustache caper. Okay. All right. I'll put you on hold as well, please. Okay. Next up, we have Runaway, a road adventure. Uh, in this, you need to get into a locked shack out in the desert. You are told about a population of fire ants that are attracted to peanut butter. 
you do find an empty jar of peanut butter. So what to do? Well, you make your own by putting peanuts and butter inside an army helmet and then leave it to melt in the sun the way that peanuts famously do. You smear that on the shed and the ants do the rest. Hmm, okay. That that does seem to sort of make sense within puzzle game logic. You Uh, melt peanuts in the sun. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. I've heard worse. All right, what else you got? Finally, we've got Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Absolute classic LucasArts game. Uh, At one point, you are looking for the lost dialogue of Plato at Barnet College. It's buried deep in the stacks of the college library and known only to the librarian who refuses to take Indy there in person. So you are looking to steal it and you need to devise a way of following the librarian. You peel some chewing gum from the bottom of a desk and take a piece of chalk from a blackboard, combine the two and place it on the floor uh, while the librarian is looking for the book. You then go to ask him to look for it again. He steps on the gum and leaves a chalk trail for you to follow to the book's resting place. Mm. So those are your five puzzles. You've got drugging a beggar with alcohol in Mystery of the Druids. You have using a shrunken Gaspode the Wonder Dog in Discord 2 to uh, explore a maze, a cat hair moustache in Gabriel Knight 3, melting peanuts into peanut butter in Runaway, a road adventure, and making a makeshift tracking device in Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Okay. That's hard arenos. So I think I have heard of the classic cat hair moustache. When you t- when it was when you said the bit uh, where you have to draw a moustache on that your friend's uh, uh, ID that reminded me. Um, so I think the cat hair, the number three is real. I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. Uh, the others. Uh, that's tougher. Sorry, I'm so stumped by this. It's like. <laughs> Oh, it's like mm. if I was to do a fake fish one on Matthew. Like, it's got one of my very many weak spots. Um, mm. I the change the first what the very first one sounds familiar, but I can't tell if it's because I've heard of that one before or if you've sort of altered an, a, another one. Ah, oh. oh, this is very tough. Okay, mm. you can ask questions and try and catch me out. If you dare. Oh, I don't dare. Uh, all right. Um, which one's fake? <laughs> ah. Lol. Mm, okay. I, I don't the know why. Line, it's never that efficient. It's designed to really stretch it out and make you pay more. Yeah. The, I'm, I don't know why, but I feel like the Indiana Jones one is fake because it sounds like, it sounds like a, a puzzle from a different game. Uh, so I think the Indiana Jones one is fake. Well, what, th- in what way was it sort of a you know a different character? What do you mean? Uh, well, how 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 was it different to the other puzzles? I'm trying to get a sense for this. Uh, no, I, I I think it sounds like one from Thimbleweed Park, um, where you have to follow someone through a maze, and it's a really convoluted thing. We have I mean, to put like I will say, following someone somewhere is like quite a quite a big yeah, point and click trope. You shut your yap. I'm 
Don't. I, I mean, they're all guilty of it. Sure they are. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's just the specifics of that one made it sound quite a lot like a I mean, puzzle. The Discworld puzzle. 2 one is also a maze. There's a, there's, oh, there's another Discworld game that has a similar thing as well. Now that you say it. Oh, maybe it's the Discord one as well. Discord's the only one I've got any knowledge of. I think I might do my classic Death or Glory on it. Because <laughs> there's another Discord game where all the voices are done by... Um, uh, what's his face? The Welsh comedian. Um, Rob Brydon. Uh, yeah, Rob Brydon. And you well, have to go through... A... Eric Idle voices Rincewind in, in, in both one and two. And... And in Discworld Noir, you have to follow smells through a maze, but you are the dog because you're a werewolf. Um, okay, I'm, well, I'm going to say Indiana Jones based on entirely my gut. <laughs> and Nate, which one do you pick? Discworld. I'm going to get my own scythe out and be the death of Discworld. Who wants to slam their phone down first? I, I'll do. I'll go first. Alice, you slam your phone down, and uh, in a rather undramatic fashion, nothing happens because that person didn't exist. Uh, yes! Oh, oh my god! The re- the really oh my god! This vi- victory has never tastes sweeter. I oh. I have a feeling of foreboding. Nate, I'm gonna hit the phone with my scythe. Nate hits That's his simple. phone with the scythe, and again, nothing happens because that person did not exist. Oh. Death or glory, and I am death. Two I for two. Genuinely cannot believe we pulled that off. Oh, I can't. Well, I can't. Oh, Matthew, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, damn it. God damn it. Uh, this is uh, great. This means you take over from me as the perceived loser of the cattle. Oh, I actually put oh, like, Matthew, considerable effort into that. I know, that. they were so good. They were so good, and it was honestly just a... I was... I, <laughs> I was just instinct, pure instinct. Oh, there was well, no real rhyme or reason. Oh my god! A, a tiny shout out uh, to Rich Cobbett, uh, whose uh, article on PC Gamer about the worst adventure game puzzles uh, was a big, big help putting this one together. So um, yes, very good. Oh my god! Oh, quick, let's get out of here while we're still riding the adrenaline high. Curses. <laughs> Oh, Matthew, that was genuine. I could tell you'd put so much thought into that. <laughs> uh, it's always the ones you overthink. I should have kept in vague. One of these days, I'll, I'll, I'll get back into the groove. It's so difficult to find the right balance. Yeah. One of those was basically a reskin puzzle from a different game, and that didn't. I thought that might work, but. Which one? The, uh, the Discord one is actually based on a puzzle from the Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed, you know, that like trying to co-opt truths from other places is rarely a successful strategy in yeah. the cavern. Yeah, but you've got it like it, it's so complex now because we know each other well enough that you have <laughs> to like so like when I did the Funko Pops one, I was like, oh, Leroy Jenkins is a good one to do. And then I was like, Nate knows Hearthstone and Leroy Jenkins. So I had I had to like while I was telling the Leroy Jenkins lie and describing what he looked like, I was looking at a picture of the Leroy Jenkins Hearthstone card because I knew. Uh, truly, yeah, impressive. 
Because <laughs> I knew Nate would know and I didn't want to be caught out. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much sister for listening uh, all that remains now is to do some recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game Matthew what have you got to recommend this week uh, I can't remember if I've recommended like an earlier season of this um, but I just finished watching the second season of Hacks on Amazon um, which is about uh, a, a sort of young stand up comedian sort of up and comer who ends up teaming up with this sort of um sort of legendary sort of person with the Las Vegas residency. And it's about the kind of meeting of these two different generations of comics. Um, second season's about them taking their show on the road. And just, it had a, a really funny episode about this tour bus uh, manager called Weed, which really made me laugh. Um, it's a funny name because <laughs> it's Weed. Yeah, like the character just is so not a Weed. It just, it just really made me laugh. The... the, the, the Everything about it made me laugh. <laughs> He's even laughing, thinking about it. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. Uh, I'm going to recommend Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Uh, it's a book, I believe it was either shortlisted for, I think it was shortlisted, I don't think it won, but uh, the Women's Prize for Fiction, I think. It's some award, anyway. Um, it's uh, very funny, um, but very kind of, real as well uh it's about a woman it's a very kind of simple story really but it's about a woman uh whose marriage breaks down and it kind of recounts her journey to that and why it happened and it's a lot to do with her mental health and her family history and stuff but it's it sounds very kind of grim but it's not it's very very funny um so that's my recommendation uh nate what have you got to recommend this week so a lot of you will probably remember I've uh, previously recommended Crocodiles of the World, uh, the UK's foremost and indeed only crocodile zoo. Um, <laughs> I went there last weekend uh, with my mate for his birthday. It's my friend Nathan. I think he's actually occasionally in the Discord sometimes. Um, and it's lovely because our social life is basically we just sort of get together and sort of like vibrate with excitement while telling each other animal facts. Um so we had a day at Crocodiles of the World uh, with a with one of the keepers basically being our valet um, and showing us everything. And uh, I got to slam dunk a rat into an alligator's mouth. Um, seriously great. But uh, that's not what, what this recommend is. Um, I just want to remind you. We, uh, for his birthday dinner... Uh, we went to a, a gastro pub called the Saxon Mill, and that was good, but that's not the recommend <laughs> either, uh, because it kind of had a bad vibe. It was just full of, like, really, you know, like, slightly past it professional uh, sports people who look like, have the air of injured wolves and have, like, really depressed, very rich-looking partners and they're you know sitting around tables doing shots, and then they're going to drive their sport cars home, and you know all just had a an air of catastrophe to it. But beside the pub was the most beautiful field I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, beyond bucolic, it was like ah, <laughs> uh, Turner could not have painted a field that beautiful. There was like a big ruined mansion on a hill and like an, an old church with a lovely graveyard and all this rolling expanse of like, I don't know, some corn or something. 
Um, Cute Danny Elfman's theme from Black Beauty. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just wonderful. So the Saxon Mill pub, which is in Warwick by the River Avon, I mean, it's a beautiful building with a beautiful pool beside it. But honestly, it would be worth going there just to walk in that field. You know when Russell Crowe dies in Gladiator? Yeah. <laughs> just imagine that, but you don't have to be a Roman and dead. Okay. Good. Uh, thank you very much for those recommendations, lads. And thank you, listener, for joining us for episode 193 of the Electronic Wireless Show, where we took you on a walk through our most nostalgic games from our childhoods. Um you can uh, join the Discord that Nate mentioned to chat more about uh, the Electronic Wallet Show, but also games in general. You can search for Rock Paper Shotgun on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, so you can find us there. You can get some merch. You can email into the show at podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. But for all your PC going needs, just go to www.rockpapershotgun.com. Dot com and for now it's goodbye from me alice it's goodbye from wolf carlton once again and goodbye uh, shame and it's goodbye from the books ape books bye <laughs>